I've said before, I'm not a big fan of technology. I do thank God that we have what we have uh, to be able to do this. I know many folks, before I get started this morning, many folks are wondering how uh, I've been feeling. I'm, I'm doing great, actually. Uh, according to what the experts say, I ought to be free of the virus. Uh, the only problem I've got is uh, I get tired pretty quick. Uh, I get winded pretty fast. Other than that, everything seems to be uh, going okay. I appreciate all the prayers and, and all the concerns. Uh, I want to say thank you again to Brother Jeff and to Ben and the uh, Dubois family for all that they've done and continue to do for uh, Brother Damon, for Grayson. Uh, you guys are great. And I really miss Damon here this morning. I'm by myself with this technology. But I think maybe we got it figured out and we can get it headed <coughs> Excuse me, in the right direction. Now, folks, for the last few weeks, I have been uh, uh, reading a lot of posts on Facebook, of course, like everybody else has. I have been uh, uh, reading a lot of things on different websites, on church websites and, and pastors' websites, and a lot of things that uh, people have been writing about how they believe that we are in the end times, that uh, this virus proves that fact. I even read an article the other day that a gentleman wrote that said because of the virus and all that's going on, we're in the great tribulation spoken of in the book of Revelation. Well, I don't know where that man studied scripture at or if he has studied scripture, but that's not the case. If you'll study the Bible, you'll see that's not the case. Now, people are talking about the fact that we're in the last days. Yeah, they man, I, I believe that with all my heart. We are in the last days. Now, I've told you this before. We have been in the last days since the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. We've been in the last days ever since that time. But I do believe, however, that at this time we're in the last hours of the last days. Now, what I mean by that, <coughs> folks, I believe that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent. If not immediate, I believe it's imminent. I believe that Jesus could return at any moment. I believe he could gather his church, and at that moment all the events in the book of the Revelation will begin to play out on this world stage. I also believe with all my heart that what is going on around us in the world today is simply setting the stage for that to take place. All that we see going on around us today, folks, I believe is just uh, leading us to that time that the Bible calls the day of the Lord. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I appreciate uh, Joanna reading the verses she read a while ago. I want you to take your Bible's turn to 1 Thessalonians. Let's start in uh, chapter 5, and we'll start with verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. Give you just a moment to find it. First Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing to the believers of Thessalonica, he says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. I love this passage. That the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us, now 
notice the three let us phrases that Paul uses. Therefore, let us, now he's talking to Christians, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day, talking about Christians, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And I love this verse. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And in verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Father, I pray you'll open the hearts and minds today. I pray you'll give me the strength that I need and the clarity of mind and the focus that I need to share the truths of your word. In Christ's name, amen. You know, folks, somebody once described our civilization as a monkey with a blowtorch in a room full of dynamite. Now, I think that's a pretty apt description because everywhere you look today, all you see is panic, worry, anxiety, and despair. Now, listen to what a French philosopher said many years ago. He said the end of the Roman Empire was a minor event compared with what we behold. We are looking at the liquidation of what is known as the modern world. A British journalist wrote these words some time ago. I have to report the affairs of a world which has lost its faith, which is like a fish out of water or a drowning man desperately thrashing around for lack of oxygen. Since the time of Jesus Christ, there has been no period in which there has been the same feeling of spiritual impoverishment as there is today. Now, around 100 years ago, there was a man by the name of Dr. Francis Peabody at Harvard University. I want you to listen to what Dr. Peabody said. We do not know whence we come or whether we go or what is more important. We do not care. What we do know is that we're moving faster than anyone has ever moved before. Well, I believe that Dr. Peabody's half right. We are moving faster than we've ever moved before. But Christians, listen to me. Those of you that are Christians that are students or should be students of God's word, you know exactly where we're headed. And we're headed for what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. Now, Paul in chapter 4 here in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about uh, uh, the people of God, about the children of God, those who die before the arrival of the day of the Lord. But then the last couple of verses of chapter 4 on in to chapter 5, Paul's dealing with what will happen to God's people who are alive when the day of the Lord approaches, when the, the second coming of Jesus Christ approaches. And the first thing Paul talks about is the coming of that day. Again, the Bible describes... <clears throat> excuse me, the period of time when God's going to come back and he's going to set things right. He's going to take care of business. He's going to pour out his wrath and his judgment upon a world that is, is filled with sin, iniquity, and violence, and wickedness. And that time, the Bible refers to that time as the day of the Lord. So let's think about, number one, let's notice that that day is a certainty, that it's going to happen. The coming of that day is a certainty. Because look at verse 1. Paul begins by talking to these Thessalonian believers. He says in verse 1, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. Now, what Paul is saying to them is, you don't need to worry about when the day of the Lord's coming. You just need to know that the day of the Lord is coming. Now, I want you to look at verse 3. Paul describes the approaching day of the Lord as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Now, as you know, folks, a woman does not get a little pregnant. When a woman is pregnant, she's going to have a baby. That's a guarantee. 
It reminds me of a story I heard of a guy that was talking to, to, to a young couple that were good friends of his, and he noticed that the wife was pregnant, and he said to the man, he said, Hey, buddy, is your wife expecting? And his friend with a big smile said, Expecting nothing, brother. It's a sure thing. I'm telling you something, friend. The day of the Lord is a sure thing. Jesus is coming again. Now, when a pregnant woman begins to have these labor pains, you better get ready because the baby is coming. Now, I'm going to tell you, I believe this, folks, at this very moment today, this world is experiencing the beginning of labor pains. This world is pregnant with sin. She is experiencing the labor pains of evil, and the baby of judgment is coming. Now, folks, we have been forewarned about this for thousands of years. The Old Testament prophets warned us of the coming day of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah warned in Isaiah 13, 6, it'd be a day of destruction. Well, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it will come as destruction from the Almighty. The prophet Joel warned us it would be a day of darkness. In Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will ever there ever be since this time, even for many successive generations. Then verse 31. The sun should be turned into darkness, the moon and the blood before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Then the prophet Amos says that it will be a day of, of doom. Amos 5, beginning verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house, leaned on his, on his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is not very dark with no brightness in it at all? The prophet Jeremiah said it would be such a terrible day there's never been any other day like it. In Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7 he says, Alas, for the day is great so that none is like it, and it's the time of Jacob's trouble, but he should be saved out of it. What Jeremiah was saying, and you need to get this from your head down into your heart, the day of the Lord, it's a day that's going to make the worst events in world history look like nothing more than a Sunday school picnic. So the day of the Lord is coming with certainty, but it's also coming secretly. I want you to look at verse 2. It's coming secretly or surprisingly. For you yourselves know perfectly, verse 2, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now the word thief is the Greek word kleptos. It's where we get our English word kleptomaniac from. Now have you ever noticed, folks, that thieves, they got a bad habit of not uh, telling you before they break into your house. I mean, have you ever heard of a thief that would send a letter or a note or a phone call and say, at this day, at this time, I'm going to break into your house and I'm going to steal this? No, you never heard of that. Why? Because it ruins the element of surprise. Now, listen, the fact is, if you and I, if we knew the date of this day, the day of the Lord, we would make for sure that we'd be ready on that date. But the reason that God does not want us to know the exact date, Christian, is because we're to be ready all the time. We're to always be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the day of the Lord, the day is coming in secret. I remember hearing the story of a school superintendent who walked into a little country school and he was doing one of his inspection uh, tours and he told all the kids in the school, he said, tell you what, I'll be coming back in a few weeks and when I come back, the student who has the cleanest desk, I'm going to give a prize to well, there was one little girl, she was, she was just overwhelmed with excitement. She said, 
I'm going to win that prize. She told her teacher, teacher, I'm going to have the cleanest desk of anybody in school. One of her friends said, how's that going to happen? You always have the messiest desk of anybody in our class. She said, well, I'm going to clean it every Monday morning and make sure it's clean. He says, well, what if the inspector comes, if the superintendent comes on Friday when you clean the desk on Monday? She thought for a minute, said, well, in that case, I'm going to clean it every morning so it's ready. One of her other friends said, well, what if he comes in the afternoon after you clean the desk in the morning and you worked on it all day long? Won't it be messy? She thought about that. She said, well, then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean my desk. I'm going to keep it clean and make sure it's clean all the time. That way it doesn't matter when he comes. I want to tell you that ought to be the attitude of every born-again child of God. Our lives ought to be ready at any moment for King Jesus to come again. Because if we're ready, then it doesn't matter when he comes, we'll be ready. Now, the day of the Lord is coming. It's a certainty. The day of the Lord, it is, uh, it, it's a secret. It's, it's uh, surprisingly, but also it's coming suddenly. I want you to look at verse 3 again. <clears throat> For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Paul describes here a time when men are going to think that everything's right, that everything's great with the world, that everything's at peace, that everything is at ease, and it'll be at that very time that God's going to set this world right. Now, what period of time is Paul describing here? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of the Revelation that there's going to be a time of universal peace during the reign of the Antichrist, the reign of Satan, Superman, Satan's false messiah for that first three and a half years that he assumes the mantle of power in this world. There's going to be a time of peace. The devil's going to be on the throne. There's going to be demons on every street corner making sure that the world unites behind one world ruler and behind one uh, one world government. And it's going to be, a, a, people are going to think that a utopia has finally arrived. Friend, there's going to be one world government. There's going to be a one world currency. There's going to be a one world ruler and everybody who takes the mark of the beast, everyone who surrenders and bows to this world ruler, they're going to be living high, wide, and handsome. I'm telling you right now, this world we're living in today is being prepared for that very moment, for that time. Men are going to be caught by surprise because they're not going to hear God's word and they won't heed God's word. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said of that time, that it would be as the days of Noah. In Matthew 24, beginning in verse 37, Jesus says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. God warned that the flood of his judgment was coming. Matter of fact, God had a preacher by the name of Noah who preached for 120 years that the judgment of God was coming, yet only eight people believed and only eight people were saved. Now, we've seen the coming of that day. It's a guarantee. It's coming. I want you to see, secondly, the command of that day. And I want you to get this truth in your heart. Now, if you're a Christian, I want you to listen real close to me. The day of the Lord, it does not hold any fear, any dread for us. The child of God does not have to worry about the day of the Lord. I want you to keep in mind two principles, okay? Principle number one, folks, rapture precedes retribution. Now, what I mean by that is before the day comes, the church is going to be taken out of this world. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God's word teaches that. But until that day comes, there's another principle that we need to remember, and that is righteousness should precede rapture. 
Now, folks, the people of God are commanded to do three things until the day of the Lord comes. I mentioned these a while ago. I want you to look at verse 6. Two times Paul uses the phrase, let us. In verse 8, Paul uses the phrase, let us. So what Paul's trying to do is show us there are three things that we need to do, that we need to be about until the day of the Lord comes. First off, we need to be watching with anticipation. I want you to look at verse 4. Even though the day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night, notice what Paul says. He's talking to Christians. He said, but you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Friend, a thief can only take you by surprise if you're unprepared. Now look what Paul says in verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch. You see, a thief, he uses three things to be successful. Uh, first of all, darkness. He uses darkness. Now, a thief, he's going to wait till the cover of darkness. Why? Because he don't want anybody seeing his uh, uh, nefarious deeds. He didn't want anybody discovering uh, what he's doing. He wants to keep it a secret. But Paul says in verse 5, Ye are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Listen to me, Christian. Unlike this world, we're not in the dark about the day of the Lord. We know the day is approaching. We know that Jesus is coming again. Christian, we are living. We're living and should be living, Christian, in light of the revelation of the Word of God. And living in light of the revelation of the Word of God, there should be no doubt that Jesus is coming again. Do you realize, friend, do you realize the return of Jesus Christ is mentioned uh, around 375 or 380 times in the Bible? That means one of every 25 verses are pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of His kingdom here in this world. Now, with great anticipation, Christian, we should be waiting for that day, watching for that day. Now, the second thing I think that a thief uses is dullness. Now, why is it that most thieves, they break into somebody's house late at night? Because they know the person's going to be sound asleep. But child of God, listen to me, we're to be awake because the child of God knows the thief is coming. Still another weapon the thief uses, and Paul talks about it, is drunkenness. Because oftentimes, think about this, even if people are awake late at night, if they're awake, they're either at a party or they're drunk, so they're distracted. Look what Paul says in verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But we, folks, Christians, we're to be sober. We're not to be uh, lulled to sleep by the darkness in the world around us. We're not to be drunk with the world's wine, folks. We're to be alert. We're to be awake. We're to be watching for Jesus' coming. You know, there is no way, and, and I'm a firm believer in this, there is no way that you can read, study, and believe God's word and not be prepared for the day of the Lord. Not be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. We need to be like the little boy I heard about went to town with his daddy. And on the way to town, they had a flat tire on the truck. Dad pulled over the side of the road. He got out, got the spare down where the spare was flat. And he, he remembered there was a, a, a gas station, a filling station back over the hill about a half a mile. And he told his son, he said, son, you sit right here and wait on daddy. I'm going to go real quick to that filling station back up the road yonder. I'm going to get the tire fixed and I'll be back. Now, I'm coming back. You just sit real still. Little boy said, okay, dad. Well, the dad took off with the tire and the wheel over the hill there. Well, it took longer than he thought to get the tire fixed. And he was worried that his son was going to be worried because he wasn't back yet. And so uh, he kept looking at his watch and looking at his watch. Finally, they got the tire fixed. And that dad, with, with a great haste, 
took off out of that filling station, headed back down over the hill. As he topped the hill, he saw the truck, and he saw his little boy on his knees looking out the back window of the truck. And when the little boy saw Daddy top the hill, he grinned from ear to ear, and he was waving at his dad. And his dad smiled and went down to him, and he said, Son, did you think I forgot about you? Little boy said, No, Daddy. He said, Did you wonder if I was coming back? Little boy said, No, Daddy. He said, Well, did you ever get worried about it? You wasn't worried at all that I may not come back? Little boy said, why would I worry, Daddy? You told me that you were coming back. My friend, listen to me. Jesus is coming back. The Bible's told us that time and time and time again. So why would we be overly concerned about the events going on around us in the world today? We're not of the night. We're children of light. We're children of God. Dr. Vance Havner that great mountain preacher from North Carolina one time said, you can take a child of God away from the newspaper, the television, the radio. You can put him in a dungeon with nothing but a Bible and a candle. And 20 years later, when he comes out, he'll know more about what's going on in this world than all the politicians in Washington put together. Christian, listen to me. We need to watch with anticipation. But look at verse 6. We also need to walk with consecration. Paul says in verse 6, let us watch and be sober. Now the word sober there means more than just sobriety, physical sobriety. That word sober speaks of moral integrity. One of the marks that a man believes that Jesus is coming tomorrow is the fact that that man lives as though Jesus is coming back today. I want you to listen to what the Apostle John said in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons or the children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, talking about the coming of Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Those of us who hope for the second coming of Jesus Christ, John says we purify ourselves. We live a sanctified life just like Jesus. Now I'm telling you, Christian, these are dark days in which we're living. There's no doubt about it. We're surrounded by darkness. We're surrounded by children of darkness. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 8, For ye were once darkness. We were once lost in that darkness. But bless God, the glorious gospel of the light shined on us and brought us to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You've heard me say this, church, many times. You've heard me preach on it many times. If you're a Christian, live like it. Act like it. Let me remind you, there is a difference between being ready to go to heaven and being ready to meet the Lord. Every born-again child of God, every Christian is ready to go to heaven. But it's sad to say not every born-again child of God is ready to meet the Lord Jesus. That's why we need to walk daily in consecration. We need to live a life of sanctification, a life set apart for Jesus Christ. Now look at the third thing Paul tells us. <clears throat> in verse 8, he says as Christians we ought to fight with dedication. Now until Jesus comes, and, and I think we understand this, I hope you understand this, we're not in a picnic, we're in a fight. We're in enemy territory. And Christian, we must continue to fight the good fight of faith. So look what Paul says in verse 8. He says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now we need that helmet to protect our head, to protect our minds. We need the breastplate to protect our heart. Now let me tell you what Paul is saying. It's very simple. Paul is saying is until Jesus comes, never let your guard down. Keep your guard 
up. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of Christians whose lives are in wreckage right now. There's a lot of pastors and preachers I know whose lives and ministries have been wrecked because they forgot that principle. Friend, never, ever let your guard down, Christian. Stay vigilant. Winston Churchill was speaking to the House of Commons during World War II. Listen to the advice he gave. He said, we must always be ready to meet at our average moment anything that any possible enemy could hurl against us at his selected moment. So we are given three clear commandments. We're to wake up and not sleep. We're to be alert and be watchful. We are to uh, uh, clean up and be sober. Folks, we're to walk worthy of being called a Christian. We're to dress up and we're to put on the armor of God. We're to stand the fight and stay faithful for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the third point I want you to see. Look at verse 11, the comfort of that day. We've seen the coming of that day. It's a guarantee. We've seen the command of that day. We need to watch with anticipation, walk with consecration, and we need to fight with dedication. Stay faithful to Jesus. But notice thirdly the comfort of that day. Verse 11, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Now, Christian, unlike the world, we can take comfort in the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. Now, and let me be clear about this. We may not know every detail. Uh, we may not know everything there is to know and every detail about the coming of the Lord, but we know all we need to know. And the truth is, as one preacher put it, we don't need to be concerned about being on the program committee. We need to be concerned about being on the welcoming committee and the watching committee. Now, I want to say something here. I want you to listen very close to me. Christian, listen to what I'm telling you. No matter how dark the days may get, we can always take comfort in three eternal things. Three eternal things. First of all, look at verse 9. There's God's eternal love. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise, praise God. Listen to me. Bless God. Those of us who by faith have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are never going to experience the wrath of a holy God poured out on our sin because Jesus experienced that wrath for us when he died on Calvary's cross in our place for our sins. Listen, the cross of Calvary, it was like a divine lightning rod. It absorbed the full wrath of God for our sins. Now, I had an appointment with the wrath of God, but bless his name, Jesus took my place, took my appointment for me on Calvary. Friend, Jesus took from me what I would have would have had to have taken for myself. But Jesus took that. He took my place. And because of that, the fact that I have accepted what Jesus Christ has done for me, that means the fierce, consuming wrath of God for me has been changed to the soothing, cool waters of the mercy of God. That means that the trumpet of judgment for me, friend, has been changed to a trumpet of joy. The next thing Paul says is we're to take comfort not only in God's eternal love, but in the fact that we have eternal life. Because of the love that was displayed, that eternal love displayed on the cross, we're promised in verse 10 that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now the terms waking and sleeping, you know what that means. It's simply a metaphor uh, for being alive or dead. Because listen to me, for the child of God, there's one thing that death never changes, and that's life, because we have eternal life. And the fact that we have right now, Christian, eternal life, death doesn't change that fact. <clears throat> I want you 
want you to understand, Jesus died so we might live through him. Let me share some scripture, 1 John 4, 9. And this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Number two, friend, Jesus died that we might live for him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5, Now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, live in him. And then Jesus died that we might live with him. Again, verse 10. <clears throat> It says, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, friend, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the fact that the day of the Lord is approaching. I'm excited about the fact that my Lord is coming again. And let me tell you something. Because I have eternal life, it does not matter whether I die before the day of the Lord approaches or I live to see it come. Friend, if I die before the day of the Lord approaches, that means resurrection. If I live to see the day of the Lord approach, that means rapture. That means that either way, it's a reunion that I'm going to be together with Jesus forevermore. The third thing Paul says that ought to comfort us no matter how dark the days may get is the fact that we have an eternal sovereign Lord. Now, how can such a day as the day of the Lord how does that bring joy, a source of joy for the child of God? Well, remember, it's the day of the Lord. So, folks, when the day of the Lord, listen, the day of the Lord is the Lord's day. So who's the Lord of the day of the Lord? It's Jesus. Listen to me. We're not looking for signs. We're not looking for events. We're looking for a person. We're looking for Jesus Christ. And when the day of the Lord comes, that means the Lord of the day has come. And that's all that should matter for the child of God. I illustrate it this way. You know, you take a, an airplane that uh, takes off from one city, heading to another city. The air traffic controller watching that plane, he knows every detail of that flight. I mean, he knows when it took off. He knows uh, every stage that that plane is in, in its flight. He knows uh, the path it's going to follow. He knows when it's going to arrive, the, the exact moment that flight's going to arrive. But that air traffic controller, even though he knows all the details about that flight, He's just not real excited about it. It's just another day. But you know what? In the airport where that flight is going to land, there's a young woman. And she's aglow with joy and anticipation. Why? Oh, she can't wait for that flight to land. And the reason is her young husband, who is a Marine that's been over in Afghanistan serving his country, is on that airplane. And she knows that when she don't know all the details of the flight, and that doesn't matter to her. She just knows the approximate time that plane's going to land. And so she is there eager with anticipation because she knows that plane is bringing back the one that she loves and the one that loves her. Now, Christian, we don't know when the day of the Lord is going to come. All we know is that it is coming and that it will mean the return of our Lord and Savior, the one that we love and the one that loves us. It will be the return of our blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen to me. I would rather know very little about his coming and have a heart full of eager anticipation than to know every single detail and event about the coming and be indifferent about it. Now, I want to say one last thing in closing the message this morning. I want you to listen real close. Now, I'm going to say this out of love, but I'm going to say it with the authority of God's word. 
you, friend. Listen to me right now or maybe listening to this recording later on. You, if you've listened to this message, you've been warned. Jesus is coming again. You've been warned. The day of the Lord is at hand. Judgment is coming. Now, my question to you is this. Are you prepared for that day? The only way to be prepared for that day is to, by faith, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Accept Him as your Savior and your Lord. That's the only way you're prepared for the day of the Lord. Now, if you hadn't done that, and you'd like to do that, then after we finish the, the live stream here, you can contact the church. There's a phone number on this web page. There is a uh, web address for our website. You can contact this church. We'd be more than happy, overjoyed, to lead you in an understanding of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But now if you're listening to me and you are a Christian, <clears throat> you're prepared for the day of the Lord. You know that when Jesus comes, you're going to meet him. You're going to meet him in the air. You're going to spend eternity with him. Well, then let me tell you this, Christian. You need to be living each and every day in such a way that you could say with the Apostle John in Revelation 22, you could say, even so, or amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you again for the power of your word. Thank you for reminding us today that you've got everything in hand. You know what's going on. Your plan is perfect. Your plan is going to be fulfilled. And Jesus is coming back again. And, and, and Father, I believe coming again soon. I pray that we would be watchful. I pray that we would be working and, and we would be striving for the cause of the kingdom because time is short. I pray that we'd be comforted by the fact that no matter how dark the days get, that we have eternal life, we have your eternal love, and we have an eternal Savior. God, thank you again for your word. I pray for those this morning that need to make a decision whether it's to recommit their life to you and to begin to live a life worthy of being called a Christian or someone listening needs to surrender their life to Christ and experience the salvation that you offer. In Christ's name, amen. Now, folks, before I quit today, I need to give a couple of announcements. Uh, number one, I have a prayer request. Church, I want you to be in prayer uh, for the Smittle and the Hamner family and the loss of one of their loved ones. Uh, what has transpired there, remember the Smittle and the Hamner family, be in prayer for them. I want to thank everybody again, Brother Damon, uh, Brother Jeff, the Juan family, uh, <clears throat> all the live stream stuff you guys are doing, Ben, Grayson, you're doing a great job. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed and that church. If you have yet to see them, I've really enjoyed the testimony challenge that's been going on and hearing people's testimony. I love to hear how Jesus has worked in somebody else's life. I uh, also want to say thank you to Brother Paul Mode. He has done an outstanding job continuing to work on the Sunday school classrooms. If you have not seen the pictures that have been posted, they're amazing. Paul, brother, I love you. Thank you. You do beautiful work, and I know God's going to bless you for your service. And I know there are many other folks that have helped too, like Laura and Kevin Scott and Mark Owens and, and so many that I can't list. All of you that's been faithful in serving your church and working at the church, Maintaining the social distance, yes. I want to say thank you for that. I also want to th say thank you once again to everyone for the prayers for our family, for the cards, the calls, the texts, the emails, uh, for the goodie baskets. And I want, to have, I want to say a special thank you 
to one of our sister churches, Spring Hill Baptist Church. Uh, if any of you guys listen to this later, I want to say thank you to you for the basket, the gift basket, uh, get well basket, gift basket that you sent to me. God bless you. I, I, I appreciate you for doing that. Uh, church, don't forget to check on one another. Don't forget wherever you are at home or when the time comes that we can get back out, don't forget to be the church where God has put you. I love you. God bless.